One pastor tells this story. He says, I once was a character witness at a child custody trial. I was grateful that the case was being tried at a small rural county seat rather than a big city, as it was my first experience as a witness. I have since learned that the location of the court makes little difference. All trials can be difficult and it is no fun to be a witness at any. The prosecutor's first question caught me unawares. Reverend, do you think that a man who has been in prison is fit to raise a child? I was supposed to answer yes or no, so the reply I gave did not make the judge too happy. Well, I said slowly, stalling for time, I guess it depends on the man. Some very famous people have been in jail and have made the world a better place because of their experiences. John Bunyan, for example, and the great Apostle Paul. I could have given other examples from the Bible, but I detected that my answer was not acceptable to the court. Interesting, huh? Interesting. Twice in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul reminds his readers that he's a prisoner. Twice. In Ephesians 3, verse 1, and Ephesians 4, verse 1. And then in Ephesians 6, verse 20, he calls himself an ambassador in chains. Let's read Ephesians 3. We're in verses 1 through 13. Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. Verse 1 of Ephesians 3. For this reason, and he's referring to what he just said in chapter 2. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you Gentiles, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery that I just wrote about in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Holy Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are three things. They're fellow heirs, fellow members of the body of Christ, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the Gospel. Amen. Of which I, Paul continues to write, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, <laughs> the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles these unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that this manifold, the manifold, this beauty, this manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ our Lord in whom you and I now, right, we have boldness and confident access to our God through faith in Christ. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations, my sufferings on your behalf. Therefore, your glory. Wow. Wow. Let me ask you on a little more of a lighthearted note. Have you ever had, <laughs> you ever had one of those experiences where your intentions are so pure and you go to pray and and you get distracted. Has anybody had that, or is it just me? Right? You go to pray and 
Dear God, Creator of heaven and earth. Oh, I need a new toothbrush. i got to get an oil change in my wife's car. It's like, how does that happen? It happens, right? And then we feel bad about it. Like, what's wrong with me? Well, be encouraged, church, to know that the same thing happened to Paul right here in Ephesians 3. And it's forever recorded in Scripture for all to see, to say, we are no different than Paul. Having, having just discussed the union of, of Jew and Gentile believers in chapters two, in chapter two, verses 11 through 22, Paul was about to pray for them. And that's how it starts. Look at verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he goes on this, verse two, all the way to 13. And look at verse 14. And he goes back to where he was. So anyway, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Isn't that fantastic? That Paul goes to pray and he gets distracted. Just like you and I get distracted. It's okay. Just go back and go back to what you were saying. Anyway, anyway, Lord, for this reason I pray. I think that's an encouraging word for us. So he's about to pray and he wanders off into this subject of the mystery of Christ. And he goes on to explain from verses 2 through 13 this mystery and his responsibility that he has in stewarding that responsibility. And then he resumes his prayer in verse 14. With that, let's pray. God, we love You. We're grateful for Your Word. But Lord, we don't want to just be grateful for Your, for your Word. We, we want to allow Your Word to mold us and shape us and change us and challenge us so that we can be pleasing to You, so that we can be obedient to You because You love us and we love You. And so... Lord, we're, we're figuring that out and Your Word helps us to do that the right way. Father, I pray that You would have Your way with us. Holy Spirit, penetrate our hearts in those places where we need to hear from You and to be ministered by You as You come alongside each and every one of us. It's in the mighty name of Christ that we pray and everybody said, Amen. So, we're going to focus on three things in our 13 verses today, okay? Three things. They'll be on the screen. We're going to focus on the man, Paul. Or as some people like to say, Paul, the man. He's a stud. Paul's a, he's just a spiritual stud, man. But here's the deal, which we'll unpack in a second. We're no different than Paul. We're all capable of doing things that Paul did. All of us. We'll talk about that. And then this mysterious plan. What is this mystery? It was mentioned three or four times, the, the mystery that he was to steward. And then this magnificent posture that you see at the end of these verses, in verse 12, when he says, we have boldness and confident access to God. That we have boldness and a confident access to God. And so it's a magnificent posture that we can take up with God. Amen? So, let's look at the first focus. Paul, the man, or the man Paul. Let's look at the various ways that Paul is referred to, the titles or descriptions that are given to Paul in our verses. Check out verse 1. Look at verse 1. The first descriptor of Paul is... I, Paul, the prisoner. Right? So that's our first one. It's on the screens if you want. That's the focal word. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. The second one is can be found in verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me. So Paul's a prisoner and Paul's a steward. He's a prisoner and he's a steward so far. Let's look at verse 7. Paul writes, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace 
which was given to me. He's a prisoner, he's a steward, and he's a minister. Minister means servant. It's The Greek word is diakonos. It's where we get the word deacons. And diakonos means servant. It means attendant. Someone who waits on or attends another. If I'm, I've waited tables for nine years. When my, my wife always jokes, they says, when I married Mark, he was a waiter. It was true. I was still working my way through school, right? So I waited nine years. And when you, when you're a waiter or a minister or a servant, who's the focal point in that relationship? The customer. And sometimes we get it really wrong in the church. I'm not the focal point. You guys are. I'm here to serve you. Anybody who's in any kind of leadership role in the church, it's about serving. And we make a big deal about ministers. I think too big of a deal about ministers. I get that I have a responsibility. I understand that. But it's about you. My role is to serve you. To attend to you. Please make it easy. As you have been. Thank you. Right? It's, it's, it's kind of a quandary, honestly, in, in, in this role. Because I think we get it backwards sometimes. That, well, I'm here to serve you. In verse 8, he says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach. And so he's a preacher. He's a prisoner in verse 1. He's a steward in verse 2. He's a minister or a servant in verse 7. He's a preacher in verse 8. Look at verse 9. And I'm to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. So he's an enlightener. So Paul's a prisoner. He's a steward. He's a minister. He's a preacher. He's to, we're to bring light into dark situations. And then look at verse 13. He says, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations, at my sufferings. He's a sufferer. Paul is a prisoner. He's a steward. He's a minister. He's a preacher. He's an enlightener. He's a sufferer. That word sufferer in the Greek is thlipsis. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. Listen, it means distress. An oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. He's doing that for other people. He's doing that for Christ. I I don't know about you, but that's not a real comfortable thought for me. I don't want to be in an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. Ever. And then to do that on behalf of somebody else? I don't want to do it on behalf of myself. And yet that's what Paul is and describes himself as. Hmm. But why? Let's look at the reason that Paul was a prisoner, a steward, a servant, a preacher, an enlightener, and a sufferer. Let's go back to those same verses. Hmm. Check out verse 1. Same verses. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. I'm going to be a prisoner for you. Look at verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Look at verse 7 of which I was made a minister, of which means, verse 6 refers to the gospel to the Gentiles. The gospel of the Gentiles, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me for you, according to His power. Look at verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. It was given to me for you. Look at verse 9. To bring to light the administration of the mystery. Right. So to bring to light, to enlighten for you, the Gentiles. And then, of course, in verse 13. He says, I ask you, don't lose heart on my behalf at my tribulations for you on your 
behalf. It's, it's really pretty remarkable, isn't it? So it's one thing to say, right? I'm a prisoner for Jesus. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a sufferer for Jesus. Well, okay, that's, that's great. And some people, we make, they posture themselves that way. But there should be an audience for that. We don't just suffer for Jesus. We suffer to advance Jesus' cause. Right? There should be an audience for that. Paul's audience was the Gentiles to advance the Lord's purposes and to set people free from their sin. And so a summary of all those verses would be this. A summary would be Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, as I steward God's grace which was given to me for you Gentiles, to serve according to this grace, to serve you Gentiles, to preach to the Gentiles according to this grace, to enlighten the Gentiles according to this grace, and to suffer on the Gentiles' behalf for their glory. This gets uncomfortable. I can't help but study these verses and go, wow, Lord, how am I doing with that? Does this, does this statement describe me? Maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months ago, I talked about in Scripture, there's something called bracketing, where how a writer starts and how he ends is, is similar or the same. And so verse 1 through 13 is all one sentence in the Greek language. Verse 1 to 13. And Paul starts and ends almost exactly the same way. Check it out. And, the, and, the, and you do that to make a point. So he starts in verse 1. He says, Paul, the prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. I'm a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles. Look at 13. I'm a sufferer for the sake of the Gentiles. Right? I'm a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles and I'm willing to suffer or have tribulation on your behalf. Interesting. And so it would look this way, right? Verse 1 and 13 would look this way. Do we have that on the screens, you guys? Yeah, perfect. I, Paul, am a prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles. That's verse 1. And the verse 13 is, and a sufferer for the sake of you Gentiles. That's the whole 13 verses. He starts and ends the same way. I'm a prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles, and I'm a sufferer for the sake of you Gentiles. So here's the deal. Every one of us, every one of us in this room, chooses our posture towards God. Every one of us. Every one of us chooses our posture towards God. Paul positions himself, as we just read, as a prisoner, as a steward, as a servant, as a sufferer. That's the posture he chooses before his Almighty God. Which by itself is incredible. But it doesn't exist in a bubble. He does it for the sake of the Gentiles. For the sake of somebody else. For the sake of his God. To advance his Lord's purposes. So how would this read for us? That, that the line that we, go ahead and put that last screen back up if you don't mind. The one before. Right? How would that, how would that read for you? Right? I, Paul, I'm a prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles and a sufferer for the sake of you Gentiles. Now the next screen. How do we fill in the blanks on this one? I, Carrie Ann. I, Doug Renault. I, Dwayne Strixma. I'm a prisoner for the sake of who? And I'm a sufferer for the sake of who? How would we fill in those blanks? Could we, like Paul, say the same thing? I, Christina Lang. I'm a prisoner for the sake of my husband. <laughs> That's a joke. Right? Although, maybe maybe not. I, Mark, 
I'm a prisoner for the sake of who? And a sufferer for the sake of who? It's a good question for us to ask. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 say this. It says, look at... <laughs> God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity. I think too often we live timid lives as believers. But of power. Does this describe us? Power and love and discipline. Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the Gospel, he writes to Timothy, according to the power of God. That's the God we serve. That's the God that's advancing. That's the God that needs people like Paul who says, I'm willing to be a prisoner and a sufferer for somebody. Check this out. Look at these verses as well. Go back to verse 2. We're going to look at four verses. 2, 3, 7, and 8. Verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me. So the Lord... Okay, so this is God's grace. This water bottle. Right? And so, if this is God's grace, that's what verse 2 says, God's grace which was given to me for you. And so, if this is God's grace, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm God, I'm saying, Jerry, I'm, I'm giving you my grace. Will you steward that grace for me? Oh, yeah, right? It's like, yes, Lord, what does that look like? What do you need me to do? I want to steward that grace. Ooh. I always forget that that's there. I'm so sorry. Look at verse 3. Same thing. That by revelation there was made known to me. Right? And so, His grace was given to me in verse 2. And His revelation was made known to me in verse 3. Or given to me. Same thing. Look at verse 7. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me. God's grace was given to me for you. Look at verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach. It was given to me. God gives us something. And He says, steward it. Steward it. And so the question, obviously, that comes next is, <laughs> what grace has God given me? What grace has God given you to steward? What grace has God given us to steward for the sake of others? What grace has God given you that you're to steward for the sake of others. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 7. Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, because sometimes we think, well, God hasn't given me a grace that I'm supposed to steward. Oh, yes, He has. You belong to Christ. And He's filled you with His Holy Spirit. To each one of us, grace was given. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of His gifts. Christ's gifts. He gifts us with a grace. And He says, steward it on behalf of others. Mm. Look at 15 and 16. Also of Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we, church, are to grow up in all aspects into our Lord who is the head. That's Christ. From whom the whole body, the whole body of Christ, is being fitted and held together by what each and every one of us supplies according to the power working of each individual part. And it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love so that we can do effective work for our Lord. 
Each of us has been given a grace to build up the body of Christ to advance His purposes. Perhaps you'd be willing, perhaps you'd be willing to start praying, to start praying and start discovering and start pursuing the answer to the following question. Lord, oh Lord, what grace have You given me that You're asking me to steward? Lord, what grace have You given me that You're asking me to steward? And I pray that you'd be willing to start praying about that and discovering and pursuing the answer to that question. What grace has God given me that He's asking me to steward? Our second focus is the mysterious plan. The mysterious plan. Let's read verses 3-6 through six, and then we're going to read 9-11. through 11, this, this mystery that he talks about. Verses 3-6. through six. Paul writes that, By revelation there was made known to me the, the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations this mystery was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. What is that? Well, to be specific, he writes, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the Gospel. And then go to 9, 10, and 11. He says it again, and, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which was carried out in Christ. In the New Testament, mystery. So we see this word mystery multiple times. In the New Testament, a mystery is simply a truth that was previously unrevealed. That's all. It's not something eerie or weird. It's just a truth that has not been revealed yet. That's all. And what an accurate picture sometimes of how we live our lives or how life works. What we label as a mystery is nothing more than a delayed revelation of truth. Right? So often we say, oh, I don't know how this works. And I don't know how that works. Instead of just trusting God and saying, God, I trust that in the right timing, this truth will be revealed. In your timing, when the timing's right. And so the mystery is not that the Gentiles would be saved. That's not the mystery Paul's referring to. The Old Testament gave evidence to that. But rather, the, the mystery was that believing Jews and Gentiles are joined together in one body called the church. That was the mystery. That was news to them. And that would only find its fulfillment in Christ. And so it was delayed and nobody knew about it until it was revealed to the apostles and to the leaders through the church. So check this out. Listen. In Christ now, in Christ, because of this mystery that's now revealed, being a Jew or a Gentile is neither an asset nor a liability. Being a Jew or a Gentile is neither an asset nor a liability. For together we share in the riches of Christ. So if you say, I'm Jewish. I'm a real asset. Uh, actually, you're not. Right? With that kind of attitude, you're not. Because we're the same in Christ. Or if you say... I'm a Gentile, with all the things that we know that to mean, right? I'm a Gentile, and I'm a liability. Yeah, yeah, you are. With that attitude, you are. Right? We're the same. Jews and Gentiles, nobody, there's no bragging rights, and there's no reason to beat ourselves up. Wherever we're at on, on the spectrum, low, high end, this end, that, whatever, it doesn't matter. None of that matters before Christ. None of it does. Being Jew or Gentile is neither an asset nor a liability. And so often we come to Christ and we feel like we're a liability. Oh, God can't use me. And oh, God, this. and oh. oh, no, He can. Oh, He can. We're the same. 
And then if we come into Christ and we think, oh, I'm this and I'm that. No, you're not. Those things don't matter. Check out Galatians. Turn a little bit to your left. Galatians 3. We share collectively the riches of Christ. Galatians 3.14. Just by way of reminder. It says, in order that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham, right? This goes all the way back to Genesis, right? The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we collectively would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham is found in Christ. In Christ. That's the true followers of God. Is those who put their faith in Christ. Look also at verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs, you're rich according to that promise. And so this was a revolutionary concept for Jews and Gentiles alike. It was a revolutionary concept. Sadly, it is often a revolutionary concept in the church today. That we're all one in Christ. That there are no national or, or racial or political or physical or social distinctions in the church. We're all one in Christ, Galatians 3, verse 28 says. We are all one in Christ. And even though that happened 2,000 years ago, that all those distinctions were removed, sometimes we still live that way today in the church. God help us. Look at verse 5. Going back to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 5, he says, uh, In other generations this mystery is not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed. As it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets. Our Lord reveals, church. Our Lord reveals. Our Lord reveals. But He does so at the right time. He does so to the right people. He does so for the right reasons. He does so for the right results. The Lord's plans. His timing. What and when He chooses to reveal things to us are all from an eternal perspective. Amen? Check out verse 10. He talks about this manifold wisdom so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. What's this manifold wisdom? This word manifold means many or varied. Having many features or forms, often referring to the beauty of, of an embroidered pattern or a variety of color of flowers. And God's working this beautiful picture that's just varied. It's awesome. And we're, we're an example of that. Right? We've all come from different walks of life. We're all struggling with different things. But the manifold wisdom through Christ is to make us all one. It's gorgeous. Too, 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 too often. <laughs> we want, we want, maybe even expect the manifold wisdom of God right now. We want to know what He's doing right now. Our timing and not His. And for some reason, we're just prone to ask the why question. Always. Why, God? Why? What are you doing this for? Why? And I believe, I do, I believe that the Lord wants His manifold wisdom known. But the problem with that is we often scorn at the timing of it or we shrink at the truth of it. We often scorn at the timing of it or we shrink at the truth of it. And so the Lord is gentle with us. Check out this example of what I'm talking about, right? Somebody who wanted to know the manifold wisdom of God, who scorned at the timing of it and he sh shrank at the truth of it. Go to uh, Mark chapter 10. 
the book of Mark, chapter 10. Thank you. Verses 17 through 22. The story of the rich young ruler. So as Jesus, as He was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to Him and He knelt before Him. And He wanted to know the manifold wisdom of God. He asked this wonderful question. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't actually answer him right away. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Like if I'm that man, I'm like, no, no, dude, I just asked you a question. Okay, why are you diverting me? Interesting. I think Jesus is being gentle. Because this guy's going to sh- shrink at the timing of it. Or whatever my words were, right? What did I say? Yeah, scorn at the timing of it or shrink at the truth of it. So he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he says, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And then he looks at him and Jesus felt a love for him. And he said, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He wanted to know, what must I do to have eternal life? And he scorned at the timing of it, because at that time, he was wealthy. If he was poor, he'd be like, no problem, i got nothing. What's next? So often we want the manifold wisdom of God, and quite frankly, we're just not ready for it. And we respond like the rich young ruler. And we shrink at the truth of it. And so God, out of His love, He reveals things to us in His proper timing. And we have to trust Him in those moments. Our third focus is the magnificent posture. The magnificent posture. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. This mystery. So as He's describing Christ, right? He carried out in Christ our Lord, in whom, in Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. In Christ, in whom, in Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in Christ. Hmm. I just love that. He says, in whom, and then he closes with through faith in Him. In whom and through faith in Him we have. That's another way to tweak the words a little bit. In Christ and through faith in Christ, we have. Not we might have. Not we can negotiate. In Christ and through faith in Christ, we have boldness and confident access because of it. So check this out. When you talk about access to people, I don't know if you guys have access to people. I don't have access to that many people. Right? I don't have access to any of the local school principals. I can't just walk into their office and say, hey, what's going on? I don't have access to any of the local police chiefs. I don't have access to any of the fire captains around here. I don't have any access to any army generals or leaders. I don't have any access to Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon. I don't have access to Tom Brady. I don't have access to Mike Trout. I don't have access to any of the local mayors. I don't have access to our governor. I don't have access to the president. I don't have access to the manager at Rite Aid or the manager at Target or the manager at Burger King or the manager at 
Starbucks or McDonald's. I don't have any access to them. (laughs) But guess what? Verse 12 tells me, I have boldness and confident access to God. Is that amazing? I don't have access to any of these people. Well-known people, important people. But I have access to God? Can we even comprehend that? How do, we even, how do we even comprehend that reality? I can't talk to Tom Brady, but I can talk to God? Yes, you can. Tom Brady needs to meet Jesus so I can talk to him. It's just such a, I don't know, it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. That reality blows my mind. And so it begs the question, are we living this way with our Lord? Are we living with this boldness and confident access to God? Is that the posture we take? Because Christ did that for us. That we can boldly and confidently access God. That's how we should be living our lives every day. Every day. It's what they call a done deal. That's what Christ did for us. It's just one of the many outcomes that we have in Christ. It's incredible. Verse 12 just told us that it is faith that leads to boldness and confident access. In Christ, through faith in Him, we can have boldness. Faith. If our lives are not marked by boldness and confident access, then perhaps our faith is underdeveloped. If our lives are not marked with boldness and confident access to God, then perhaps our faith is underdeveloped. And we have to develop our faith. Because it's through faith that we have boldness and confident access. And so I wonder if you took a quick inventory of the last three to five years. How many things in your life have required a good amount of faith? And did you walk through those things with faith or did you shrink back from them? And therefore, because of that, you don't have this confident access to God. You don't have this boldness to God. And so God says, okay, let's try another journey. Let's try something else that will increase your faith. Will you have faith in me this time? Because I want you to have the bold access that I have provided for you on the cross. But because Paul understood, Paul understood that. And so he lived in this magnificent posture that he could proclaim what he does in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Paul understood this. And he writes to me, the very least of all saints. It's a lot of saints up to that point. Present and past. The very, I'm the very least of all saints. This grace was given to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. In this verse, we find a remarkable truth And a staggering contrast in this verse. That a man who sees himself as the very least of all the saints has somehow been entrusted with the unfathomable riches of Christ. And he owns it. And he stewards it. And he suffers for it. We're all like Paul. We all can take that posture like Paul and say, hey, I'm I'm the least If Paul's the least, I'm the least. Great. Well, Paul says he's the least. So, And yet he is entrusted, God entrusts the very least with the unfathomable riches for somebody else. Only God does that. So perhaps you feel that you're in that least category. 
Well, welcome to my world. That's okay. That might be true. But verse 8 says that we can be entrusted with the unfathomable riches. And we can steward it. And we can suffer for it. And we can perform through the power that He puts into us. It's really an amazing contrast to me that the very least of all saints, God entrusts the unfathomable riches. And that word unfathomable is only used twice in the New Testament. It means indelineable. <laughs> That's a Rob Johnson word. Impossible, indelineable. You can't delineate. It's impossible to plot, travel, or trace the end of it. And therefore, it means it's so vast that it's incomprehensible. Very least is pretty comprehensible. Unfathomable, incomprehensible. That He takes the little bit of us and He does these incomprehensible things with us. I love it. It's also found in Romans 11, verse 33. Where Paul writes to the Romans, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. And that's what I love about Scripture is you just continue to learn that that's true. As we learn about God and we learn about God and we learn about God, that there's just no end. It's incomprehensible. And then we just drop to our knees and pray and worship and love on our Lord because He's unfathomable. And so it makes me, I you know, have comments like this when I just wrote this down in my study. I'm like, oh Lord, how do we comprehend that You have used the very least of all saints to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ? How do we comprehend that? And yet He does. And yet He does. If on some level that anything I do up here ever makes any sense, it's just that that's taking place. How do you use me, the very least of all saints? I get it. It's really remarkable. And so Paul, on some level, honestly, he takes that excuse away from all of us. He takes the excuse away from all of us. I can't do that. I don't know if I can do that. You can! You can! Listen. <laughs> the gift that He graces you with is fueled by the power that He will possess you with. The grace, the gift that He graces you with will be fueled by the power that He will possess you with. Look at verse 7. Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of His power. Whatever grace He gives you, He will possess you with power to execute. Can I get an Amen. Amen. And so I wonder, when you know that to be true, right? Because we just saw in Ephesians 4 that He gives graces to all of us. So if that's the case, I wonder then, when we, when we take a step forward and say, yes, Lord, use me, are we risking for Him at that time? Or are we actually now responding to Him? There's a difference. Oh, I'm going to risk for the Lord. No, maybe it's that you're, you're, now you're willing to respond to Him. Because He's... If he's gifted you, the gifts that he, right? The, how did I say that? The, the grace that he's, the gift that he graces us with, right? The gift that he graces us with, he will give us 
He'll possess us with the power to execute that gift or that grace. And so at that point then, if He gives us a grace, then He possesses us with the power, then it's not so much that we're risking for Him, we are now responding to Him. There's a difference. Right? And I think the Lord, perhaps for many of you, nudging, He's nudging, He's, he's, he's patient, He's long-suffering. You need to start this, you need to do that, you need to serve this way. Uh, 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 uh. And he's wanting us to respond. And he's so patient and he's so loving. And so if you're if that's real for you this morning, I would encourage you to respond. Respond. I've always thought for years, maybe I should do this at church, maybe I should do that in the community. Respond. Let me close with this verse and then I'm going to pray and the worship team will close this in song. 1 Peter 4.10. What a great verse. What a great way to end our time. As each one has received a special gift, each and every one of you has received a gift of God's grace. As each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards. And then there again we see that manifold, right? The manifold grace of God. He knows what He's doing. He knows what to give everybody. He's creating this beautiful picture. Hmm. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What a good word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You trust us. We have so little You've entrusted with so much. And You've empowered us to accomplish it. Lord, help us not to shrink away in the ways that You challenge us, Lord, but to boldly move forward because You've called us. Lord, I pray that we would all wrestle with that today and in the days ahead. That we would respond according to the gifts that You have graced us with knowing that You will possess us with the power to carry it out. Lord, we love You. We thank You. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody.